Welcome back to Trojan Talk. I'm Ryan Young. We'll be bringing in Max Brown momentarily. My co-host, you know him, the former USC quarterback, the Trojans analyst, our Trojansports.com analyst for this season. But first, got to make sure you're aware of our promo, our free trial. You can get full, unlimited, premium access through December 6th. That's through the Pac-12 championship game. You can get access to all of our exclusive content, our exclusive features. We go in-depth with cool stories all the time that no one else has. Our podcast, our columns, our analysis pieces. We go inside the pro football focus numbers every week and and pull out some interesting data off each game. Our recruiting coverage. Just a, We have a lot to offer you. We want you to get in the door and see what it's all about because we're confident what once you do, you're going to want to stay. But there is no commitment. So if, if you want to do the free trial for a few weeks and hop out, that's that's your right to do that. But give it a try. There's no risk. Promo code is FREEUSC. It's FREEUSC at sign up. And if you go to Trojansports.com, you'll see a banner at the top of the homepage with an easy link to follow for, for the free trial. It's also linked in all of our stories, so real easy to find. One last note before the podcast, Max and I taped uh, our Wednesday morning, and that afternoon, the last update from Clay Helton of the week on injuries was that Chris Steele, the freshman cornerback, had tweaked his knee a little bit. Uh, it was kind of up in the air. It didn't sound super serious, but it wasn't clear what his status was. We actually have a pretty interesting Chris Steele debate in the podcast, so look for that. Without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome back to Trojan Talk. It is a short week for the USC football team and therefore is a short week for Trojan Talk as we're cramming two high-quality, high-action podcasts in a few days before you here. If you didn't listen to the first one, go back and do that. We had the extended Keenan Christian discussion. We kind of reassessed the 2019 recruiting class in retrospect. We took away any you know big-picture things learned in the Arizona game. Now we're going to move it forward. We're going to preview the matchup with Colorado on Friday night. But we're going to do some fun stuff first. First, let me introduce you to my co-host, Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, the Trojans analyst, and our Trojansports.com analyst this season. Max, how are you? I'm good. A little hot take Thursday. Got to love it. This will be fun. Yeah. it's it's uh, From now on, the second podcast of the week is going to start with a segment where I dish up five hot takes, and Max buys or sells or puts me in my place with them. And it was uh, it was a lot of fun last week. They just keep flowing to me. It's not even a challenge. I'm just full of hot takes. So I think I have enough for the rest of the season. We'll see. There were some good ones too. You were all over Christian Rector sitting him. I was. Uh, yeah. That was a good. That was a good call. I'm blanking on the other ones, but uh, you're locked in. They're not. They're not so. They're not so hot. They're just kind of uh, appropriate takes, but cutting edge for sure. They're informed hot takes. A, a, a lot. There you go. A lot of there thought and expertise goes into the recipe for these hot takes. Well, without further ado, let's start there. We'll get to the game, like I said. We'll get to other stuff, but let's start with the hot takes. Number one out of the gates, I think, and this is not like sizzling. This is just, you know, it's it's been warmed up. I think Keaton Slovis throws for 350 yards this week. I would say that he would throw for a career high. His career high is 377, but I think that USC – gets up comfortably, and Matt Fink gets a few series in the fourth quarter. That's why I'm moderating it. But 350 for Keaton Slovis. Why do I think this? Well, Colorado is the second-to-worst pass defense in the country. 129th out of 130 teams. They're giving up 316 yards a game through the air. They've given up, oh boy, at 404 to Khalil Tate. We saw USC shut Khalil Tate down while he had 404 passing yards against Colorado. 369 to Washington State last week, a bunch of other big games. I think for for that reason, Keaton Slovis goes off, and for another reason, I think that they are going to be careful with Keenan Christian and that razor-thin running back depth chart at this point. So I think we see a pass-heavy attack. Now, granted, I said the same thing last week against Arizona, also a bad pass defense. We didn't really see it, but I'm going back to the well that's hot take number one. I buy that totally. I buy it for three reasons. One, I'm spot on with uh, right with you in terms of the running back position. I mean, if you're Graham and Clay, you're looking at your running back depth, and uh, it's awfully thin there. It's got to be a, a sense of concern a little bit. So, I mean, not overdoing Keenan Christian, 
or uh, Quincy Johnny or whoever's available. I mean, that's got to be a huge concern, especially going into a physical game against Oregon the week after. That's another reason. The other reason is right when you started that hot take, I started Googling the weather report for Boulder, Colorado, (laughs) and it's currently snowing right now, but it's supposed to be crystal clear and 60 degrees on Friday. So that is very advantageous for a quarterback in general, but especially a a freshman quarterback on the road. That's that's definitely the, the right weather report you want for an air raid offense. And then thirdly, uh, just watching film on this Colorado team, their pass rush is not good. We, we kind of had a similar vibe when we were talking about Arizona last week in terms of their defense, like giving up a lot of points. But at least when I turn on the film, they, they seemed a little bit athletic up front. They seemed like they could at least do some stuff, maybe make it interesting. And we kind of saw that in the first quarter of last week in terms of maybe them doing a different stunts or different blitzes. And they were able to create some pressure a little bit. I'm not going to say it was groundbreaking, but when I watch this Colorado team, their pass rush is not very good. Washington State was sitting back there last week, and Gordon was was uh, had had all day to throw. So I envision kind of that's it feels like the right tide for SC to really go in there and and go pass heavy. And maybe it's a it's a blessing in disguise. I think for the first half of this year, SC's kind of been stuck in that. Well, this is the air raid, but we have the ability to run, so then we're going to do both, and it's not so much the air raid. Well, if you're Graham Harrell, you're walking into this game, and maybe it's a, in a weird way a blessing in disguise. You're saying, all right, now we have to throw the ball because we are so thin. This secondary, this pass rush isn't very good, and uh, I would not be surprised to the, to the slightest if Graham Harrell chucks it around the park all, all game long. Yeah, and you mentioned the weather. They, it really is fortuitous because – this part of the week and then later in the weekend looks really cold and snowy out there. So they found just the right window to get this game in. Hot take number two plays off the first one. And also, again, we're not quite to a boil yet, but I promise they do get hotter. This one just, <laughs> I, I, it just needs to be said. I think that USC ends up with season highs offensively for yards and points. Again, their season highs previously were both from that Stanford game, 492 yards, 45 points. I think they passed that because I I just think this team wants to build some momentum entering that pivotal Oregon game, and I think the offense wants to feel good coming off that. I don't like this Colorado defense at all. Uh, I just think the opportunity is is totally there for them to, to let loose. And I think they do. Colorado's given up 482 yards a game. They haven't played many offenses on USC's level. It just kind of adds up to me. Max? Yeah, I'm with you. And you were talking season high totals uh, in total yards or just just through the past game? Or what are we talking? Uh, Total yards. Uh, So 492 is is the current season high. I'm thinking they eclipse 500. And then uh, 45 points is the season high. I think they passed that. Okay, yeah. I buy, yeah, I buy that. I think uh, Colorado is towards the bottom of the entire country. I think they're like 110 or they're in the 110s or it's not, it's, it's not pretty. Angry. So um, that, that's obvious. I mean, it, it, the, the fact that we're saying 500 yards, that sounds like a lot. It is a lot. Don't get me wrong. But in, in terms of what the Buffaloes have been used to seeing, um, it's not that out of the question. So I buy that. Uh, but just kind of piggyback on our first point um, in terms of, and I know you didn't say this, but in terms of, uh, eclipsing season totals and rushing yards. I, like, like I said, I don't see this being a huge rushing game. So that, that I mean, it'll, it'll be fun as a, I mean, as a quarterback and me, as a fan who maybe you're waiting for this air raid offense to see it kind of open up. But yeah, to me, that piggybacks on the first point. I expect this to be a huge offense a day. It will be interesting though. The, the one maybe caveat to that is if, if this gets, uh, if this becomes a blowout or a short, for, a short field type game, and maybe they just don't have the opportunity to get those yards, but this is uh, Pac-12 football. I don't envision that happening, and uh, <laughs> right. I think I, I think SC's offense uh, takes care t- takes care of business. Okay, we're two down. The oven is preheating for number five. When we get there, it'll be uh, it'll be nice and baked. Um, I think we're getting a little warmer here on this one. Number three, Keenan Christian will finish this season as USC's leading rusher, and I'm going to qualify this. I don't think that he's going to totally dominate the rest of the way. I think he's going to be used in a – I don't want to say limited, but I don't think he's going to get 20, 25 carries a game. Uh, just from talking to Mike Jinks this week, he was pretty candid in saying if Keenan Christian had to be the lead back for 12 games, it, I'd be a little concerned just based on his size, 
He's 181 pounds. He, you know, he's, he's only been in the college weight program for the summer. He's not quite built for a heavy workload. That's, that's their analysis. That's not me saying that. That's, that's the coach's analysis. So I think he's going to be moderated in his usage the rest of the way. But as of right now, Vi Malapai leads the team with 406 rushing yards. Marquis Step has 307 and Carr 266. I personally don't think we see Marquis Step the rest of the regular season. Now, as Clay Helton announced earlier this week, he's having surgery on his ankle to repair torn ligaments from the injury he sustained on Saturday. Clay said a three to five week recovery time. He didn't specify if that was after the surgery, if that was all encompassing. We don't know when the surgery is or was, but three weeks sounds really optimistic. There's only five games left, including this one in the regular season. So I just think that Keenan Christen has the opportunity here over these last five games to build on his 103 yards he has already and will end up as the leading rusher of this team. I like this. And uh, I quickly opened up uh, ESPN and I'm doing some, some, some fast math as to like how this is going to have to play out. He needs 300 yards. If he got every carry the rest of the way and the guys above him got nothing, he needs basically – he's 300 yards behind Vi, who's leading the team with 400 yards rushing. I'm with you. I do not think Marquis Stepp plays again, especially during the regular season. And your qualifier, your uh, – th- this could be a different conversation if it's regular season versus do, do you get the ball game. I know. But yeah. to me, I'll, I'll, I'll go the up, I'll, I'll, I'll go the other way. I'll go I'll sell this uh, in that I don't agree because you talk about five games left – and if he needs 300 yards to pass Vi, and we just talked about how we don't think this is a big running game against Colorado, to me, you face Oregon the week after, and I do not see him getting that. That's a stout run defense. I do not see him having a big run game then. Then the week after, you talk about Arizona State. I don't necessarily. I mean, that's a not as good of a run defense as as Oregon, but still solid. And I know Zach Moss had some success last week, but. That, that's, that's a Utah offense, and that's a Zach Moss NFL running back. So to me, I'm still hesitant there. And then the week after, you talk about Cal, and I just watched a, a Justin Wilcox press conference where he basically chewed his entire team out about how, how the heck did we let uh, Oregon State get, get, like, get those r- rushing yards. I mean, they've been stout against the run all year. So those, those four games right there that are coming up, I don't necessarily see a breakout running game. And, I'm, and maybe the, the counter to that is he doesn't need a breakout running game, but I'll go the other way. I think, I think it'll be tight. And I think, I mean, the reality is I don't envision him getting every single carry the way, way on out. I know, I mean, Quincy Jaunty kind of fumbled his first carry, and that's a big concern. But, I mean, I, I, I don't think they're in a position to ride Keenan Christian all the way out. And then with Vi's knee... That concerns me as well. Anytime you, you, you say surgery, that, that, that concerns me. But I envision him getting back, especially towards the end of the year. So kind of all those factors coupled together. Um, I, I'm going to sell the fact that Keenan Christian at the end of the regular season, or I forget if he said season or, or bowl game, but uh, I'm going to sell the fact that he's the leading rusher on the team. I respect that. I respect that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back at you, though, with some more – Let's knowledge. go. What you more got? knowledge here. Well, you mentioned Quincy Jaunty. Mike Jinks, who we've already seen this year, is, is very loyal to the guys who excel in the practice field for him. He loves Quincy Jaunty. He didn't even have to be asked about it this week. He said, I have not given up on that guy at all. He's going to play. You were going to see him out there Saturday. So I, I don't know what that means, five carries or ten carries. But I, I know that they don't want to ride Keenan Christian heavy. We'll just see. But – I'm assuming that Vi does not come back, at least in the regular season. And I'm assuming that Carr probably does, but he's only at 266 yards, and he's, you know, he's just kind of has a fixed role at this point. So I don't see him as a threat. So if yep. Keenan Christian needs 300 yards, that's 60 a game over the next five games. If he gets 15 carries a game, which is kind of the number I ballpark, we're talking four yards a carry for – the fastest guy on the team, a guy who is going to pop one here and there. He may get stopped for no gain more so than any other back on the team, but when he pops one, he's going to maximize those holes and get even more than anyone else would. So if he has to average four yards to carry the rest of the season for the workload I'm expecting, I think he gets there. And I'll even say with the bowl game, he still comes out on top. What was the mark you just said, that it's 60 yards a game? 
Yeah, so so 60 yards a game times five games yep. Yep. Would, would put them right, yeah, so to, right there at Vi. Yeah, so to me, I'm with you. I think I don't I think he surpasses Stephen Carr. I buy that. But then so my counter to yours would be uh I mean when you look at Vi, who was a starting running back, whatever that really means with the rotation they had, I mean he was forty six against Notre Dame, forty forty nine against Washington. 39 against Utah and 42 against Stanford. So under that 60 mark, 60 sounds quick, but all all it takes is, I mean, and I worry about Christian maybe getting banged up a little bit. So 60, right when you said it, I was like, oh, it's not that much. Dang, what did these other guys get? So he was under that. I think we what we both can agree on is it's going to come down to big plays, I think. If he can get one one or two like we saw last game, those big runs, and he gets he gets – all 60 in one play, that to me is where he make, where it kind of makes or break. But uh, it'll be close. I love this I love this hot take. I think you can go yeah. both ways. No, no, it's, it's, a, it's a fun debate. And, you, and you, you know, it's I think both cases are, are solid and strong. With the Vi comparison, I I know that I, I seem like I'm always beating down on Vi. I think he's a great asset to the program. I just, I just see him as a utility guy. I, th- I think he's going to get exactly what's there and not much more. And I just think that Kristen has more potential. And even though Vi was he was the lead back, that was still a three-way split back then. They're not, they're not going to have the ability to do a three-way split, at least for, for a few weeks. So that all feeds into me thinking that Keenan gets there. But it's going to be very close, and I can see it going either way. Okay, so I'm going to build off that one and stay in the same area of the field, but I'm going to spin it even more forward. I'm going to say... In 2020, Marquis Stepp leads the Trojans in carries, yards, everything. He is the leading rusher next year. And it's a very interesting situation now because it's possible that everyone is back. Now, you never know with the transfer portal or, or what else, but you could have Vi, Carr, Stepp, and Kristen all back. And if Kristen finishes strong and and if he happens to do even better than we expect, then it becomes a really interesting debate about how they figure out that backfield next year. You don't want a four-way uh, committee. That's not serving anybody's interest well. So we'll see what happens. But I, if I had the cult now, i say that Marquis Step has the season next year that many wanted him to have this year. Wow. Um, I'm trying to piece this together. Yeah, yeah. The idea all four of those guys are back in 2020. Goodness gracious, that's a loaded backfield. You Marquis Step with the most yards on the ground. Um, oh, this is tough. I will – I'll buy that. I, I agree with you. I, I think – I think you you fast forward eight months, and I think it's it's pretty clear. I think he's going to be above Vi in all the depth chart stuff. I think the maybe hard nose element that Vi brought to the table that maybe a Stephen Carr did not, or a more scat back did not. That's what Vi brought to the table. That's kind of why he had a role. I know he was kind of a Swiss Army knife where he did it all, but that was the one area where he had it above Stephen Carr. And now Marquis Step comes in and he has that way above all the running backs. So I, I think he. I, I, that's kind of why I buy it in one regard. My one concern is in 2020. Do they kind of? Is there a world where they get back to more true air raid? And uh, I don't necessarily have an answer for that because when you rattle off all four running backs like we can, there's no reason you should totally abandon the run. But if if, if we see a world in 2020 where there's not as many kind of carries to go around in general, and maybe there is a world where they're using uh, Stephen Carr and Keenan more in the pass game, because that is that is still one area that I sit here and I'm like. We have not seen the yeah. the ball thrown to the running backs like we thought we would, and I just yep. I literally just watched the Washington State Colorado game and Mike Leach. I mean, he's got two running backs in there. He's throwing the ball to the running backs all the time, so that concerns me a little bit. But still, I think at the end of the day, who's getting the most carries next year? I think it's got to be a marquee step. It, I, thinking ahead, it, it make it, it'll be very interesting to see if. I mean, if we're just being honest, if, if transfers come into play a little bit, because you talk about four great running backs, assuming Keenan Christian kind of rides this wave he's on, it'll be interesting to see. But I think Marquis Step has the most momentum right now. He uh, is the most exciting amongst the fan base and probably amongst that staff. 
And next year, he's not going to be necessarily the young guy waiting behind all these guys. No, next year, he's going to have as good of an argument as any of, as any of them to be, to be the, the, the main workhorse. So I buy that, uh, I buy that hot take. Yeah, it's, I mean, just think about how interesting preseason camp is going to be next year. Whoever the coach is, you're going to have a tough quarterback decision between JT Daniels, assuming he's ready to compete for that job, and Keaton Slovis. And you're going to have this loaded backfield. And honestly, even if one guy transfers out, it's, it's still a really uh, complex puzzle to piece together. That's going to be a, a fun, a fun buildup for us to cover next year and, and see how it shakes out. And you don't know what the offense is going to be next year, if this staff is, is back in, in, in parts or in full, if there's a new coach and they go a different direction. And they look at the roster and they go, man, this team is built to run. Let's do that. There's just so much unknown. But I would feel confident betting on Marquis' step, which, which you already knew that. You already knew that. And, and maybe the biggest factor that I left out is if we're just being truth tellers here and there is a new staff, like if we're just calling it how it is, and I hate playing the hypotheticals, but – if there is a new staff, there's going to be everyone kind of starts with that quote-unquote clean slate. And I think Vi has definitely won from the whole earning your stripes type deal in the program. And, and don't get me wrong, I would, still, I, I'm, I would still ride with Vi any day. But I think he has benefited from being kind of the, the elder statesman in the room, the guy that's kind of been there a little while, the, 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 the calming presence in the huddle. But when you get a new staff... There's an element where everyone starts at ground zero, and I think that probably benefits a marquee step who has uh, who will have more momentum kind of going into to 2020. Yeah, this staff has very clearly, as they came out and said it, like people are going to compete for jobs every week. What happens on the practice field is going to matter, and they put a ton of stock into people who they see have done everything right on the practice field, and that that was Vi all the way. A different coach might say, okay. Who's going to maximize our opportunities on Saturday the most? Who gives me the, the most juice at that position? And they might go a different direction. We'll see how it shakes out. That was a good discussion. Number five, I think, is my hottest of the hot takes. That's why it's number five. That's why it's been simmering back here on the stove. I, I just took it off. It's, uh, it's hot to the touch. <laughs> Tell me how you feel about this. I think a case can be made. And I'm, just, I'm going to make it because you know, this is a hot take. So I'm just going to go ahead and make it that USC's defensive MVP when this season is over will be, drum roll please, freshman cornerback Chris Steele. And <laughs> oh, I, okay. I just just hear, hear my arguments out. Okay, I, I wouldn't have thought this two weeks ago, but I sat down and I'm like, you know, it's, this is, uh, there's a case we made here. I'm, I'm, I'm the one to make it. So here we go. He is... I'm going to throw a lot at you, and you can just siphon through it and, and, uh, and throw it back at me afterward. But we'll start here. You know that we always dig into the pro football focus stuff every week, and, and I'm the first one to say that I don't think it's 100%. I definitely think there are flaws in their system. Things are off at times. But overall, it's a, it's a better gauge than anything else we have because they're putting the time in on every play to give some analysis on these guys and putting it all together. So it's useful information. Chris Steele is the top-ranked USC defensive player who's played a full workload. Caleb Tremblay is actually above him, but then it's Chris Steele, and Chris Steele has played uh, you know, over 300 snaps this season with a grade of 76.3, which, again, on PFF scale is, is very good. Anything approaching 80 is, is excellent. In the advanced numbers, according to, the, according to them, he has given up 10 catches on 22 targets all season for 120 yards. So 52 of those came in that first game when he got burned deep by Fresno State, had a rough debut, acknowledged that, you know, I've never played in a stadium this big. Like I was adjusting to it. Since that first game, here is what he's given up yardage-wise per week. Zero, six, eight, 15, 29, and 10. And it's not just that, you know, Cornerback stats can can be misleading. You, you don't know how much someone's actually targeted, what, what their role is. He seems to come up now with a, a major pass breakup each week. He's, just, he's, he's a really good cornerback as a true freshman. He's, he's proving out his five-star rating. And what strengthens my argument here is that the other candidates that might have been in play are falling off. Talano Hufanga is, is out 
for who knows how long with his shoulder dislocation. So that kind of just takes him out of the picture. I think he might have been the guy if he had played the full season, but he's not going to. Drake Jackson, well, they had a great case, the freshman defensive end. He's going to miss at least this game, and we'll see with a high ankle sprain. I, I just think maybe that limits him the rest of the way. We saw what it did to Christian Rector, who's still dealing with his high ankle sprain from week two. That, to me, probably takes him out of the running. J2 Fele up in the middle is, is probably the, the guy that can give you the, the best challenge for this. So it's very possible that maybe in the end you say, well, he was the guy. But that has to play out. What strengthens my case for Chris Steele is that think about where USC would have been without him. Elijah Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart have both missed substantial time. Uh, it seems to be one or the other every week is out. Chris Steele has been the the steady rock there. He's been he's played every game. You know, it looked like they had a, a three-way rotation there. Well, it really hasn't been that way because they haven't had all three guys healthy most of the time. And Chris Steele's been the mainstay. And if you don't have him, then we're dipping into the Dorian Hewitts and others earlier, and we still don't know what they are. Because we saw a limited sample size from Hewitt last weekend. You haven't had to really test that because Chris Steele's been there all season. He's been steady and he's been impressive. That is my case. I hand it over to you for the, for the verdict. I've been working my way down the depth chart trying to uh, rebuke your, uh, your, uh, <laughs> your MVP case. No, I, 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 love, I love this take. Uh, I'm going to sell it, but I love this take. And I'm going to sell it because I would agree that Chris Steele has been the most clutch player. But to me, I think there's a difference between clutch and valuable in that these first four or five weeks, I'll, I'll give the first four weeks – you would have given the, the edge to uh, Elijah Griffin over Chris Steele all the way. And, and I know kind of the, that Washington game, he, Chris Steele stepped up and other guys were injured. And then that's where, to me, it was clutch. He came up in that one, that one big game. But across the board, I think I've been impressed. And I know ITS has been on and then off. But even then, he's had good points. And I think over the course of the season, if Elijah Griffin can get healthy, which that concerns me with those back spasms, we're going we're gonna to look back and we're going to have a lot of corners that could have been or that, that are making plays, that are doing great things. And so in terms of most valuable, don't get me wrong, he is right up there, but I don't think he necessarily wins it. Uh, this could be totally different if you talk about those injuries keep bumming their heads and whatnot. But to me, and this might even be a hotter take than what you <laughs> what, than what you give me, but I think the most valuable player when we when we go back and, and go through it all could very well be John Houston. Oh, and, uh, oh. yeah. Whoa. And I know a lot of SC a lot of SC fans are turning the podcast off right now. But no, uh, I'm, give I'm, me, glad uh, I, I'm glad I was sitting g- down for that. My goodness, me, I might have, I might have injured it, myself. <laughs> Give me 30 seconds to kind of take it. Uh, sell you on this. Uh, in terms of most valuable player, the, not the best, the most valuable player going into this season, SC had knew they had kind of four corners they could play with. Yes, some were better than others, but four corners they could play, play with. I don't think you can give MVP honors to anyone on the D-line because that group is so deep. If you lose Jay Tufele, you still have Marlon. You can plug and play. Sure, it's not as good, but you can manage. Vice versa, if Marlon were to go down. Both defensive end goes, goes down. You're still hurt, but you have one on either side. I know this week both are down, but you can find a way to get Caleb Tremblay in there. Nick Figueroa can piece it together. You can get Hunter Eccles on there. So to me, D-line is out. Corners, I, I touched on that. But then you talk about interior linebackers, and you hear time and time again Clancy kind of talking about, hey, John Houston's the guy getting everyone lined up. And, man, we had so many new guys in there, but we had very few, few busts. And John Houston screaming at all the young guys around him, and he wears that C on his chest. And I, I get it all the time on the radio show. Well, if you're wearing that C on your chest, you got to represent it better. you got to be more physical. I'm with you. I get that. But if John Houston was not there and you had to go to Raylan Goforth or whoever kind of they would piece together there to get the entire defense lined up, and don't, don't forget how many times SC blitzed last game. They were doing so much on defense. That's what Clancy likes to do. That's the, that's the beauty of having so much talent is you're able to do a lot of things. Who gets everyone in control? It's that middle linebacker. So I look at you, you think if EA is down and then who else do they have? Right now, they need John Houston to get everyone in order. I know I, I, I've been impressed with kind of how Kanai's moving along, 
But I think at the end of the year, assuming number 10 stays healthy, I think, sure, you might think he, he's a B-plus player right now, and he, at SC he should be an A-plus player. I, I'm with you. That's fair. But I think he's coming on. I think these games moving forward are advantageous to him, and I would not be surprised if at the little honors award thing they do in December if, if John Houston ends up being, ends up being defensive team MVP. Okay, so, so what just happened here is I cooked you up a very hot take. on, a, D- on a, Double hot take. On a hibachi <laughs> grill right in front of you and served it to you fresh off the grill, piping hot. You then turned around, grabbed those four-foot metal tongs, <laughs> and dipped your take into a lava pit and pulled it out and handed it back to me. And I did not see that coming. That is interesting. Okay, a couple – I guess there is a logistical question there. Are we going off – the team MVP award, which would probably skew toward a senior or just an objective MVP. So that, that would play into that stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the objective one. I, I, I should have brought the awards thing, and that was just for a little, uh, little extra sizzle. But uh, no, true age doesn't matter, genuine MV, team MVP or defensive MVP. Okay. All right. Man, I, you had chili powder on there too. I think I tasted this. this. Oh yeah, going back into it. Sriracha, <laughs> sriracha, the, the the works. Little five star, five star Thai restaurant. Everything. Oh it's, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting because he he's coming off his best game. He clearly is viewed as indispensable for the reasons you mentioned: communication, getting guys lined up. But I would counter: Has this defense always been lined up correctly? Has that not led to some major bust? They lined up pretty damn good last game. And Notre Dame, I know they had some gap issues, which, sure, I guess you can yeah, – that's on – if I'm going to argue that he's lined everyone up, i got to wear that one. But to me, in terms of blown assignments and like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? That guy ran through a gaping hole or blown coverage. For what we thought we'd see in August, we have not seen much at all of that in, what, mid, mid-late October. Okay. All right. It's uh... – that that is uh that is straight fire. That that was good. That was I'm glad we had that <laughs> very very strong debate there. I I'm trying to wrap my head around it still. I'm I'm going to have to really see how the rest of the season plays out. But you definitely came off the top to, rope again. To me, to me, it gets down to like Chris Steele. I'm right with you and like going through it. Like Chris Steele's probably two right now. I mean, if we're uh, in, in terms of MVP, to me, I think it just totally depends how these next few weeks play out because. Elijah Griffin was getting kind of a lot of the headlines early on. Then the injuries happen. So I'm with you. And Chris Steele was timely. And so, like, okay, value increased right with you. But in terms of all over the course of the season, when we flash forward another month, where will we be? That's kind of where I'm at. But no, okay. I think that was, that, was, that, was, that was good debate. Yeah, it's just an epilogue. I, I would just say, so Elijah Griffin has, has a bulging disc in his back. As someone who's had a bulging disc, I don't, I don't know – how much confidence I have that he's going to be able to play the rest of the season through that. I, I know it can come and go. It can be finicky based on how it presses on the, on the nerve, etc. It can subside, but I, I just worry about that. And cornerback was the biggest question entering the season. It has not been a question at all, and all three of those guys deserve credit for it. But the guy that's been out there consistently has been Chris Steele. A lot of interesting points and, and, and debates raised there. I, I might have to throw a poll question up on, on the Trojan Talk message board tomorrow and just I'm, see i'm gonna get i'm gonna get eaten alive on the poll <laughs> message board so the, well, there needs no to question. be a qual- the, there needs yeah. to be a qualifier of you have to you have to read you have to listen to this <laughs> 10 minute segment before you can answer the question <laughs> no there, there's no question that you will not have the majority support but i i'll put like eight players up there and just see who see who the the fans vote for i'll be curious I'll, I'll link back to this and this will definitely create a really good discussion on the board so that was great Okay, that was fun. Let's get into the game, USC at Colorado on Friday. Before we do the matchup talk, though, let's just kind of go back over the news of the week, which, of course, was the injuries. I'll run down the list here, and then we're going to kind of discuss which one we think is going to be the most impactful this week. So the injuries coming off of last game, Marquis Stepp, as mentioned, tore ligaments in his ankle, having surgery out three to five weeks, according to Clay Helton. Uh, Stephen Carr, grade two hamstring strain, definitely out this week. Don't really have a timeline on, on when that's going to loosen up for him. Drake Jackson, high ankle sprain. He's in a boot this week. He's not playing. 
Talano Hufanga, dislocated shoulder. He's definitely not playing. We don't know if there's a chance of him returning this year. That's still up in the air. Munir McLean, uh, reserve receiver, torn ACL. Very unfortunate for the freshman who was uh, was really impressive in, in the preseason and just hasn't really had an opening with this uh, deep receiving core or, I guess, you know, stacked top of the receiving depth chart. But tough break for him. His brother, Abdul Malik McLean, on the defensive side, dislocated shoulder. He's also a reserve. And then the guys previously, Christian Rector, as I'll get into later in the segment, is kind of being shut down until his ankle is fully healthy. They made that decision coming off the Notre Dame game when his mobility was clearly impaired and, and that was impairing the defense. Uh, Chad Kauha'a said it was a really tough decision. Uh, Christian would not have pulled himself off the field, but his quote was, I was doing him a disservice and our team a disservice by running him out there. He's, he's just not full strength. So there's no official word on, on that he's out this week, but he hasn't practiced all week, and uh, I would guess they're probably trying to get him ready for Oregon. Palaie Natiote at linebacker is also out with his ankle sprain. He's in a boot. I, I guess they're probably hopeful that he can try it for Oregon, but even then he's not going to be full strength. Elijah Griffin, as we just mentioned, is practiced all week, is probably going to play. Greg Johnson at nickel, practiced all week with his shoulder, is probably going to play. I think that sums it up. With that said, Max, which one of those injuries do you think looms the largest on Friday night? I mean, I think uh, it's got to be Talanoa, I think. I was trying in my head to, to make a case for one of these other guys, but at the end of the day, you're talking about a safety position. You had two clear-cut guys. You had Isaiah Palmao and then Talanoa Hofunga. So when one goes down, to me, that's an area where like there's the biggest drop-off. I think you also, you, you phrased it in terms of the biggest uh, impact this Friday night, but I also think looking forward, I mean, you talk about a guy who's been banged up, and you talk about the longevity of kind of him as a football player, and I hate to go down that road, but that's just the reality of kind of the, the nature we live in, but another to. injury to that shoulder, you have to go down there, yeah, exactly, and so I think that's the biggest one. I'll go off a little tangents, I think this marquee step one could be huge because we've seen at times steps kind of the the safety the safety the little safety blanket that they go to when they need three or four yards you have to pick up a third down or uh, even if you kind of run the ball and it should be a three-yard game but it turns into a five-yard gain and it puts your offense in advantageous spots and uh, especially, I mean, we kind of always forget, but we have a true freshman quarterback back there. So against some of these better teams, the Oregons and the Arizona States, to have kind of step as at your disposal, that's big. And I think we're one injury away from, I mean, what if, what if a Keenan Christian were to get banged up? Then that oh, would be, goodness. oh my goodness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What if, to my point I just made five minutes ago, what if a John Houston gets banged up? Then EA's injury might be huge because you're going to like, you're going to some young linebackers. To me, it's it's cheating, but if you group both defensive ends together in Christian Rector and Drake Jackson, what, what we did there was we took an absolute strength of the of this USC team, their defensive line, their pass rush. That's what, hey, we know what we're bringing to the park with these guys. Well, now you don't have both those guys. And I'm not going to say it's a weakness because I like Caleb Tremley and I think Figueroa and hopefully Connor Murphy getting back can do some things. But when you talk about, I mean, we keep going back to it, but when you talk about going to an Oregon, that pass rush that you wish you had would alleviate a lot of stress off a backup Talanoa Hufunga's position, whoever that is, if it's a Chase Williams, whoever, a pass rush would alleviate a lot of that pressure, especially because when you look at Oregon and looking forward, uh, like farther into the future, you're facing an Oregon, Oregon team whose tight ends are down. So you, you, they have backups in the positions that would go against your safety position. You're going up against an Arizona State team who's not dynamic in the skill positions as much as they are necessarily on the defense or they, they're trying to run the ball with uh, Eno Benjamin or, or that kind of uh, skill positions, meaning receivers. So um, to me, I think there's a lot of what-if scenarios, and this, this could change a week from now. But right now, going into this game, and I think if you had to put your money somewhere, that loss to Talano Hufunga is, uh, is huge for this SC team. Yeah, I'm right with you. I rank them uh, the top three as, as Hufunga, Step, and Drake Jackson to me. And with Hufunga, you know, they have Chase Williams who will plug in there. He's played a lot, so he's not, like, coming off the bench. He's been their utility DB. 
but he's been very up and down. Uh, I, I still think he has a nice future, he has nice potential, but I don't know that I'm, I'm totally trusting him as a, as a full-time guy at that spot. And we've seen that when Hufanga is healthy and, and at his best, he's, he's a potential game-changer. That's tough. You, you mentioned what's this mean for his career. That was the first question I had, and I actually asked Clay Helton that on Monday because how do you not how do you not go there? How do you not worry that a guy who's broken that right collarbone twice and now dislocates that right shoulder? You know, it wasn't like a, a crazy play. He he lowered that shoulder into Arizona running back J.J. Taylor as Kanai Malga was bringing him down from behind. And, and just that impact was enough to, to do that. He's a safety. He's a physical player. He's, he's aggressive. He's, he's going to be in, in those situations a lot if he's playing free and not thinking about it. You know, you don't want him playing with a limitation in his head and feeling, oh, I shouldn't do this because you're not going to get the same player that way. But if he's, if he's going to play the way he plays, he's going to have that same scenario, that same kind of play many, many times more. And how do you not fear that this is just bound to keep happening well so clay clay helton's answer was the collarbone they're not worried about anymore after the the first break didn't heal on its own and it broke again they put a steel plate in there and according to clay that means it probably won't break again i don't know how that stuff works i'll just take his word for it and with the shoulder he mentioned the success they've had with guys like pola mao and elijah griffin having procedures to kind of as he said lock that bone in place um, Elijah Griffin had both shoulders operated on last offseason that hasn't had any problems. Paula Mao had shoulder issues dating back to high school, uh, was lost for the season in game two last year, had s- shoulder surgery. He's been fine this year. So that's maybe a likely path for Hufanga, and maybe that does lessen the likelihood of recurrence in the future, but you definitely worry about it. Yeah, I know for me, I had labrum surgery on my right shoulder, and uh... – I was a quarterback, so the decision was almost made for me. You're not throwing a you're not throwing a uh, throwing a football with a suspect labrum, but for him, if there is a decision on the play where it is kind of a strap it up or strap it up and kind of manage, which a lot of guys do, believe it or not, or kind of a get surgery. To me, get surgery right away. To me, I mean, when you look at kind of the the, the next calendar year or whatever. I mean, if he gets surgery now, that's eight or that's nine months of full healing before he would even, or 10 months of full healing before next camp. That's a long time. That's great. If he waits towards after the season and we're getting into January a little bit and he's getting into the more seven month time frame, to me, yeah. that's still fine, but that's not like crystal clear fine. And so to me, I, in terms of for Talanoa Hufunga, just long term, I know, especially if SC starts rattling off some wins, he might try to get back and try to make an impact and all that. But with his history, uh, I would think if there is any conversation of surgery, uh, he should uh, he should get that now rather than waiting. Yeah, it's it's a tough call. Going on down to Marquis Step, who I had number two on my list, uh, you you summed it up perfectly. Like there's going to be moments in future games. Maybe not this week, and probably not this week, but against Oregon, when they're at a pivotal third and two, uh, fourth and one maybe, that could swing a game. You don't have him. I think you're going to feel that, and it's, it's, it's it definitely impacts the upside and potential of this offense the rest of the way. Just given they don't have a lot of of drive sustainers, they have a lot of home run hitters. But he was their he was their guy, the go to in those spots where you just had to get the first down. So that's I know, tough. I know, I know. For me, that is a huge concern in, in this game because, I mean, I, I know I, I've been in locker rooms before, and there probably was a, a an element of tipping your cap to a Quincy Johnny and giving him the four string kind of reps and carries. But the fact right. that Keenan Christian was fish string, I know he's a home run guy, but I'm I'm concerned in the short yardage. That that's a huge factor for me is. Like, what, what is he like in terms of reading, reading the runs? I mean, the runs he had were clear as day. The holes were wide open, which are awesome. That's great. Take advantage of him. He's got speed. But over the course of this, the, the remaining games, can he carry the load? Can he really stuff his nose up there and get four or five yards? And Mike Jenks has said all year long that he can do that, and that was an element of a, a, a pleasant surprise. I don't, I don't know if he exactly said that, but that's kind of what he alluded to. So uh, I think he can do it, but – that whole dynamic of losing Step and, uh, I mean, you lose Vi and Steven, and obviously they could fill pieces of that, but Step's kind of the, the, the big dog there 
filling that void is uh, it will it'll be it'll be interesting to see in the coming weeks. Yeah, well, well, Graham Harrell did say that actually on on Monday. He said, you know, I I knew this guy was fast. I knew about the speed. I didn't know if he was going to be able and willing to run inside, and he, he's gotten a lot of work at that in practice in the preseason to the point where it kind of alleviated any concern or doubt there for the coaches. But we got to see it in a game, and if you go back and watch his uh, his highlights again, he had 103 yards, but 85 came on two plays, and the other six carries, you know, he had a, a seven-yard game, but then there, there were a lot that were stopped pretty quickly. And so it's it's a it's a real concern. I just want to touch on before before we move on to the matchup, Drake Jackson and the DNs. I had a good talk with uh, Chad Kauha'a this week about how they adjust, and and I asked him. I said, "Do these injuries having both your your top DNs out does this make you go more to the one defensive end alignment with the outside linebacker uh, up on the line of scrimmage on the other side?" And he said, well, yeah, that would be a logical reaction. But he goes, we were actually going to be doing that anyway. Just based on the teams we're playing in this stretch, that was going to be our our go-to base scheme. And even if Drake and Rector were both healthy, he said they would have been rotating. Um, And they would have had that outside linebacker out there a majority of the time. So that was interesting to me. So so maybe it's not felt so much. But still, you think about that Oregon game where every possession is going to matter – and what Drake Jackson could do once or twice or three times a game to d- disrupt the series, and you don't have that, I think you're going to feel that loss there too. Totally. Not even, I mean, disrupting totally, but there's an element of Oregon, and we saw it a little bit in the Washington game, where they're going to wear you down in the second half. Their offensive line is, I mean, Mario Cristobal said it in his postgame conference, he thinks they're the best in the country. So when you're talking in that language, there's definitely an element of, SC just needs bodies looking ahead. They need, sure. they need great, physical, great functional point. bodies just to get out there. So, yes, totally, Drake Jackson's great game-changing ability is right there. But I also worry, like, if you're asking Caleb Tremley to wear a workload way heavier than he's used to, I mean, that second half of that Oregon game, and I hate getting ahead of yourself or ahead of ourselves, but that second half of that Oregon game, that's a big, uh, big factor as well. Yeah, and, and, and that's the guy you're going to see this week. You're going to see a lot of Caleb Tremblay. He was practicing with the first team on one side with Hunter Eccles, the outside linebacker, on the other side. So look for that pairing to uh, flank Jay Tufeli and Marlon Tuipolotu, and we'll see how he does. Again, he has been the highest-graded player on PFF this season among the USC defenders. He's played around 100 snaps, so it's not an insignificant sample size. But this will be his first you know, truly just being unleashed as a – semi or kind of full-time guy okay let's get into the matchup usc goes on the road to colorado colorado was three and four one and three in the conference we've already mentioned it this is not a good defensive team they're giving up almost 35 points a game 482.4 yards a game uh, 316 passing yards a game what's interesting to me is that they're actually kind of significantly worse defensively than last year and they brought in Mel Tucker, the former Georgia defensive coordinator, a guy who's been a lot of places, but most recently at Georgia. You would have thought that you would see some first-year improvement in his area of specialty. What do you what do you see from this defense beyond just the numbers? Like, like why why have they been so vulnerable? Yeah, so I think I mean I, I kind of date it back to where when I was at SC and, and Colorado's defense in 2016 was one of the best in the country um, under Jim Levitt. That's the whole reason Oregon kind of poached him from Colorado and he went up there and that defense had great corners. They were long, they were physical, um, and then they were stout up front. They had not elite athletes at linebacker, but very physical, uh, very physical guys. And then like, like I just kind of alluded to up front, they were stout and they kind of had a good blend of athleticism on the outside and not crazy athletes on the inside, but kind of what you would expect of a Colorado kind of linebacking core, just kind of uh, just kind of meat and potatoes type, type mindset guys, and they were very effe- uh, very effective. I think now when you fast forward to 2019 and you turn on the film, they're not very they're not overly athletic out, out wide. I think they're fine a- athlete wise, but not overly athletic, and they're not big, which is kind of an element they had with their corners and safeties a few years back, and then up front. They're just, they're just not very – they're not physical up front, and they don't have any dynamic guys up front either. So I think you just kind of look across the board, 
and it just feels like a bunch of just a bunch of just guys out there. And, and that's just kind of the honest truth. They're one of the worst defenses in the country. Uh, like I alluded to, I think they're, I mean, in the teens, one, like 110 or so in terms of total defenses. And it's just, it's not, it's a group that if you're turning on the film and you're, uh, and you're SC, you really think you can get after these guys. And I know Mel Tucker, Tucker came over, their new defensive coordinator, John Janik, like trying to do some different things, but it's not really there. And I don't, I don't, I don't turn on the, the film and you're like, oh my gosh, this is an absolute gaping hole. But in the, um, in the same token, you don't turn on the film and I don't think anything fears you if you're, uh, if you're USC's offense. This is a defense you should get after. Uh, I, I talked about it in the open. Their pass rush is not very good. And Anthony Gordon, Wazoo's quarterback, was sitting, sitting back there all day with time to throw. So I expect a big day at, uh, at, at, at SC's offense. I think defensively, Colorado mixes things up. That's kind of, I think, early on in the year, SC was kind of that drop eight principle, and everyone was kind of talking about that drop eight, drop eight, drop eight. Well, as of late, the past couple of weeks, you've seen teams mix it up. Notre Dame, you're mixing it up. Arizona, mixing it up. I think Arizona did a good job, and they knew they were outman talent-wise, so you, that's kind of where you would try to get your edge is mixing it up. Colorado, you can tell they're saying the same thing. I think they know personnel-wise they aren't great, and so their kind of way to get over the hump is to mix things up personnel-wise, So, I mean, uh, uh, schematic-wise. So they'll do cover two, two Tampa, two man, which that might sound like all in the same family. I guess it is in the same family, but to a quarterback, those are completely different reads. They'll do some cover one. They, they will try to mix it up, change the picture, uh, and I think – if you're a fan, go back and watch that Washington State game because obviously Mike Leach, Graham Harrell, they're doing some of the similar concepts. And that's kind of the, the, the blueprint Colorado brought to the park is we're going to mix it up because they know schematically, or I guess personnel-wise, excuse me, they can't match up with opposing teams. And if they're thinking that against Wazoo's receiving core, which is a very good receiving core, don't get me wrong, I can only imagine what they're saying against uh, SC's receiving core. And I, I would expect I would expect Tyler Vaughn's and like they have no one to go up against Michael Pittman physicality wise. I think that's a tough matchup for any secondary, but especially this secondary. That's one area I'm licking my chops if I'm Tyler Vaughn's or uh, Michael Pittman out wide. Yeah, and that just goes back to you know kind of the forecast we gave early on that this could be USC's best offensive game of the season. Let's flip it around. Everyone knows, I think, Colorado quarterback Stephen Montez. He's been around forever. He's not having a great year for a veteran guy. I mean, he's thrown for 1,723 yards, but he has 10 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. And while he has been a mobile guy at times in the past, that hasn't been a factor at all this season. Now, I know from talking to Chad Kauha'a this week, he said, I'm not overlooking his mobility. I played against this guy before at a previous stop, and he gashed me. I know he's not running much now, but we're going to be prepared with the same kind of plan we had last week to defend the edges and keep a quarterback in place. What do you see overall, though, from this Colorado offense that's averaging 26.6 points a game, 407.7 yards a game? Yeah, Clancy's first comment when uh, Steven Montez came up was just the arm talent he has. And he definitely has that, and I think there's elements where I think he himself probably started drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit a couple years back when everyone was was high on him. I mean, Steven Montez took over after their – or they had uh, – I played the guy in high school. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Colorado's last quarterback started for them for four years. And Steven Montez, uh, they had they, they benched that guy for Steven Montez, I mean, three years back or so. So, I mean, he came on the scene, and I, there's probably an element of Steven Montez, and I don't know the guy, but he probably started drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit when everyone, after his sophomore or redshirt freshman year, whenever that was, was like, hey, this guy's going to be great. He can make all the throws. But to me, and I'm not going to be a I told you so guy, but I never was, was high on him. He would throw an absolute dime on a vertical route and then follow it up the very next play and skip an arrow route in the turf. And I was like, what is going on? Like that, that's, those are, that, that, that just can't happen for, for a quarterback to take the next step. And I think finally this senior year, it's really caught up to him. And he looks, he looks casual at times with some of the stuff he's doing in terms of footwork and, and, and doing that. And I know I'm getting on his case, but when you have all the talent and kind of the trajectory in the world and, and, and the opportunity he's had, it, it's, a, it's a missed opportunity for sure. I think especially when you go back and you look at what were we saying about this Colorado offense before the year started, we were saying, hey, Mel Tucker's going to bring the defensive mindset and, they, and, and, and Colorado already has the skill position players. I mean, you had LaVisca Chenault, who's arguably the best receiver in the country, and I know he's banged up. I, I'm with you there. But you also had Katie uh, Nixon, 
Their, their other receiver, which I was high on, he's a great player. And then Colorado people were uh, or fans were also fired up about their running game and Alex Fontenot, and he's, he's a great running back too. And I think that dynamic right there is the biggest switch I have seen from Colorado in 2018, from Colorado in 2019, is they're doing a little bit more under center stuff. And I think if you're Jay Johnson, their new offensive coordinator, your mindset's probably, hey, what are my team's strengths? And if I have a great running back and I have a big, strong arm quarterback, maybe can I get some run game going to get some play action stuff happening just so I'm not totally having my entire offense weigh on a guy like LaVisca Chenault. I mean, you you date back to last year, and I was as impressed with their offensive coordinator last year, Dev, Darren, uh, Darren Cheverini. Every team he faced – was doubling LaVisca Chenault. They knew he was the stud guy, yet he continually got LaVisca Chenault double-digit touches, whether it was Wildcat, whether it was Jet Sweep, whether it was traditional pass game, whether it was lined him up in the slot or outside. He found a way to get LaVisca the ball. That has not happened this year. I know he's had injuries, but to me, the shift of offense from that mindset to a, hey, we're going to do a little bit more under center. We're still going to do – they still do shotgun. They, they, they still do uh, tight formations and spread them out. They do a lot offensively, but that, that switch right there is the biggest for me. I just think this is an offense that hasn't really taken the next step. I mean, with all that said, and I know I just went on a long tangent and I was, I was, I was tough on Steven Montez, but Steven Montez still has the talent. And he could wake up on the right side of the bed Friday morning, and, and, and he can do some things. I mean, he is dangerous with his feet. He is a big athletic guy. If, I mean, Elijah Griffin has back spasms and ITS isn't feeling good, and I know we got Crystal out there, but, it, it, I mean, tell if, if Chase Williams has some busts and, and that storm starts brewing in Boulder, there's definitely a world where uh, where Steven Montez, uh, things start clicking, and he, he has flash – or he has steadied – uh, consistent play this week that we've seen at times over the ca- over the course of the past three years, but just haven't seen it on a consistent basis. Yeah, uh, you, you mentioned Chenault. Just give the stats. Definitely not the same player he was last year statistically. Uh, obviously, still the same player. Still viewed as a very high uh, draft prospect. But twenty five catches for three hundred and forty two yards and two touchdowns. So he's he's really been neutralized. All right. Well, with all that said. Let's get to the nitty-gritty and give some predictions. You want to go first or you want me to start? You start. Let me pull up uh, Colorado's past games real quick so I get a little frame of reference. Sure. Well, you know, obviously I've kind of already tipped my hand here with, with the hot takes and what I'm expecting. So I'm going to go USC 48, Colorado 21. Again, I, I think all drama is out of this game by the early point of the third quarter. I think we again see a lot of guys get action. I think we see Matt Fink come in for Slovis late. This is just another take care of business week for USC with all things building up to that huge Oregon game that's going to really decide their fate in the Pac-12. I would expect on a Friday night, they've had bad road outcomes here the last couple of years, but I think on a Friday night in a game they just got to take care of business, I don't see any drama ensuing in this one. All right, I like it. I'll uh, I'll go one touchdown higher than you, and I know I just yes, abso- I, I know I absolutely destroyed uh, Col- or Stephen Montez there, but I'll go forty eight twenty eight USC. Oh, I see. Okay, um, all right. Yeah, so I'll go the other way. I think Colorado being at home gives them a little bit more edge than what we saw last week against Washington State. I also could see SC getting out early and really uh, laying on the gas, and then maybe easing up a little bit. And I think it also kind of. Touches on our point of, okay, Talanoa is gone. I think that Chase Williams, do they maybe try to get on him a little bit? I think I I touched on, I mean, they still have, I mean, LaVisca's banged up, but I like Katie Nixon. I like Fontenot, their running back. Do do they get some little run game going a little bit with with SC's defensive ends down? Does SC not keep pressure as much? Does Steven Montez get out of the pocket? I'm going to instill a little confidence in Steven Montez and say they put up 28, but I think SC's offense, I don't see them being slowed down. The only way they slow down is if they uh, kind of get cocky and slow down themselves and start drinking the Kool-Aid, as I said. But I'm saying 48-28, I think it's a good win for SC. Good stuff. Well, that was a fun podcast. I think uh, I think Stephen A. Smith should be worried about his job with your, with your hot takes. Um, <laughs> hey, I'll give him a run for his money. Max uh, – <laughs> I'll fill in for, for Max Kellerman one of these days. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that, that was fun. Just a few things to look ahead to. If you're listening to this podcast, you're hopefully listening to it on Thursday at some point as I'm in the air flying to Colorado. But Max will be on the message board on Trojan Talk that evening at, what, 6.30 we said? 6.30, yep, I'll be there. 6.30 Pacific time, Thursday night, for his weekly live chat Q&A. You know, as you can tell from these podcasts, he has a lot of insight to offer on the matchup, on the team, uh, from the perspective of a former player. But this is your chance to ask your own questions. If there's something that I'm not covering on the podcast that you really want Max's take on, get on, get on the board and, and ask him yourself. He's there for an hour every week, and uh, it's a wide range of questions. It's fun stuff. You have to be subscribed to take part, but I have an easy solution for you. If you're not subscribed, we have a free trial still. It's going through December 6th, so you can sign up now and get full total premium access through the Pac-12 championship game, no commitment, so there's no reason not to. Like you can, you can sign up and just do the chat, and then cancel if you want to. But I think if you if you get in and see the exclusive stuff we have every day, every week, our hope is you're gonna you're gonna find a lot of value in it and want to stay. That's why we do the free trials. So do that. Promo code is free USC. Free USC at sign up. And if you go to the homepage at trojansports.com, you will see a banner at the top advertising the free trial. You can just click on that and follow that right in. And it's also mentioned in every story we post. So it's really easy to find. Take advantage of that. Join Max for the live chat Thursday night. And as always, we'll come back at you next week and break this game down. Good stuff, Max. It was fun.